Hi, it's Eric again. If it feels like I'm always asking you for money, it's because I'm always asking you for money. That's because producing a high-quality podcast like Making Gay History costs a lot. Between ten dollars and $20,000 for each episode, for the audio and all the extra resources and archival photos you'll find on our website. One way to help us keep bringing LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it is to join our Patreon community, $5 a month or $60 a year. And for that, you get a front row seat to my interviews with present-day history makers, behind-the-scenes production conversations, and delicious clips from my archive that we couldn't include in regular episodes. Right now, we have 200 Patreon followers. That's just a fraction of our many thousands of listeners. Can you help us double that by the 55th anniversary of Stonewall this coming Pride Month? We can't do what we do without all our supporters. And if you aren't one already, I hope you will be soon. Or, if you are already... Get one of your friends to sign up to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. That's patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. Or just go to makinggayhistory.com and hit the Patreon subscription button on our homepage. Thanks so much. Now, on to the episode you've chosen to hear. The episode that follows discusses a suicide attempt. If you're having thoughts of suicide, please contact your country's suicide prevention hotline. In the U.S., that's a Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which you can call or text toll-free at 988. I'm Eric Marcus, and this is a special Valentine's Day episode of Making Gay History. If you've listened to our Season 11 episode featuring my interview with the visionary activist Craig Rodwell, you know that young Craig was as precocious as they come. As a teenager, he cruised the streets of his hometown of Chicago in search of sex with men. After a hookup in 1954, Craig and the guy he'd just had sex with were picked up by the police. The arrest ignited Craig's activist passions. He was all of 14 at the time. A few years later, fresh out of high school, Craig moved to New York City, having heard that, quote, all the queers lived in Greenwich Village. New York was also home to a chapter of the pioneering homophile organization, the Mattachine Society. Craig couldn't wait to sign up, but Mattachine didn't allow members under 21. Of course, Craig wasn't just going to sit on his hands until he came of age. Determined to do something, anything to advance the cause, he got creative and tried to drum up support for Mattachine from the sidelines. That's what Craig was telling me about back in 1989, when he casually mentioned his first boyfriend, Harvey. Who was not just any Harvey, as you'll hear. A heads up. The interview that follows discusses a suicide attempt, and I'll admit, a love story that involves STIs, heartbreak, and self-harm is not everyone's idea of a perfect Valentine's Day listen. But it's an intimate glimpse into the relationship between two titans of the LGBTQ civil rights movement before they made gay history, when they were just two young men in the big city trying to make love work. Interview with Craig Rodwell, February 17th, Friday noon. Location, Craig Rodwell store, the Oscar Wilde Bookshop, New York City. 60, I want to go back to 61 for a moment. Uh-huh. Um, I assume during this period you, you continued to be active with Mattachine attending meetings. Well, as much as I could. I couldn't right. join until uh, late 61 when I turned 21. But I did other things. I would 
I remember I organized my friend David and Colin, and we did it, these little flyers, because uh, I got the newsletter, so I knew when the meetings were. So we did these, I lived up in the, for a year up in the West 80s, and we did these little flyers uh, announcing uh, the next meeting, the topic, and gay people, or this and that. Probably homosexuals would have been the term at the time. And we went around the neighborhood, and I had David and Colin you know, take one side of the street, and I would take the other, and I trained them to only stick them in mailboxes. You could stick things in mailboxes back then that had, like, two names on them. Cause, uh, that increased the odds that these were a gay couple or something. <laughs> and this is when I was going with Harvey, and I told Harvey about it. Harvey. Oh, milk. And uh, out with Harvey Milk? He's my first lover. Oh, I wasn't. Oh, you didn't that. know that? No, huh? I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, I told Harvey about it. This is when I was 20. Mm -hmm. So this has been 1960. Yeah. Uh, Harvey was just livid. He thought that. I remember him saying, uh, "This gay couple who opens up their mailbox and finds this gay flyer, they might, they might have a heart attack." Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because Harvey was very conservative back then. Well, certainly in 19... Wall uh, Street and business suits and antiques and all that. 1960 he was. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Goldwater. We used to fight about Goldwater. Remember, I called Goldwater a Nazi and <laughs> Harvey would yell at me. Harvey was a supporter of Goldwater. Oh, yeah. A rabid supporter. Uh -huh. um, How did you meet him? Out cruising. Corner of... I lived on 88th Street. He lived on Central Park West between 95th and 96th. And we were in the corner of 88th and Central Park West. Do you remember what your first impressions of him were? I mean, you didn't, you, it was just another trick uh -huh. at that point. But it, it, I, mean, I was out every night cruising Central Park West. Um, but it turned into something more. Not until, uh, it was like a few weeks later. You know, we exchanged phone numbers. And, uh, a few weeks later, he called me up. Probably it was a Sunday, because Sundays were his favorite day. And uh, probably took me out to dinner. At first date or something. He was significantly older. Well, at the time, he was 10 or 11 years older than me. But he was established and very successful in business and beautiful apartment overlooking Central Park and antiques and <laughs> stereos. And <laughs> I was making 36 bucks a week and I'm working in a factory. <laughs> uh, what were you doing in a factory? Hmm? What, what kind of work did you do at the factory? Well, it was a plastic flower factory called Zanino Altman on uh, 16th Street. Uh, and, so you were uh, very impressed by his, his uh, home, I would think. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just the fact he wanted to continue seeing me, because most guys really didn't want to continue seeing me. Again, because of my age, and I just wasn't cultured or nothing. Mm -hmm. Oh, but Harvey took me to every damn museum in the city. He insisted that he was going to, and the opera, I mean, over and over again to the fucking opera. <laughs> Uh, and every single kind of ethnic restaurant you can think of. I mean, he always paid for these things. Did you live together? No. What did, did right near each other. Right. How long did you see Harvey then? Uh, about a little over a year, mm -hmm. something like that. I've only had two lovers in my life. Right. He was one. Mm -hmm. And Dick Leitch. I never considered Dick Matt a lover. Mm -hmm. We went together for a while. Mm -hmm. You stayed in touch with him throughout uh, mm -hmm. his career then? Mm -hmm. Well, until he moved to California. Mm -hmm. I never, uh, I didn't see him after he moved. To, well, he came back briefly in Right. Let me ask that question now then. Where, where were you, do you recall where you were when you heard that Harvey was first, was killed? I was uh, here at the shop. Uh, my mother called me and told me she had heard. She knew about your relationship with Harvey? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. She always, 
uh, I keep forgetting you don't know anything about it. Um, I attempted suicide when Harvey and I broke up. And that was another big turning point in my life. Uh, why did you? Oh, to me it was the end of the world. Did he end the relationship? You ended the relationship? He essentially ended it. But it, it was a slow, gradual, it wasn't all of a sudden when I don't want to see you again. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't that kind of thing. It was a slow, gradual pulling away. And I think it would have been easier if he had just ended it. You know? And I was, I just turned 21. I was 20 when I met Harvey. Uh, and again, I was, I've always been very, uh, what's the word, uh, intense. But, no, about everything I do. I'm just an intense kind of person. It's easy to say. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and oh, and I planned my suicide. It took two months. I gave notice on my job and notice on the apartment. And <laughs> so you were really in love with, with Oh, yeah, sure. And you had thought about spending the rest of your oh, yeah, life with him. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. But that wasn't what he And I think at one point he probably did, too. The major thing that... Uh, after, when Harvey started to pull away was after I gave him VD. Uh, I remember it was in a, one of his favorite restaurants, an Indian restaurant up on Broadway in the 90s. We went there quite often. I could tell he was, something was up that night because he wasn't his usual. Uh, he always joked a lot. And so finally came time for him to tell me what was on his mind. And he told me he'd gotten uh, gonorrhea. And he had assumed, and, and I had assumed, we never discussed it, but we assumed that each other was, we were faithful with each other. Uh, and then he said... You had not been. No. He said I should go uh, for treatment or something like that. And I said, well, why don't I get tested first, you know, see if I have it. And he said, you have to have it. You're the only person I've had sex with in the last nine, ten months, whatever it was. And then he had this look on his face like, now I know that you haven't been faithful to me, but I've been faithful to you, kind of thing. And from then on, it was a, it was a slow, gradual. He used to call me every morning when he got to work. He always had a joke to tell me. I mean, the silliest, stupidest jokes, you know. Usually Helen Keller jokes. Those are his favorites. Just sick, sick, the sickest jokes possible. And he loved them. Uh, and you must have loved them, and him. Well, I love the call from Harvey in the morning, because he woke me up. This is when I was going to ballet school. I was a scholarship student at that point with the New York City Ballet. So he would call you while you were still sleeping. Right. Yeah. And to wake me up to, to get ready for class and That's what sweet. have you. Uh, um, so you were, you, you were intent on killing yourself after he Oh, yeah. That was the end of everything. <laughs> it was just a question of how to go about it and hurt as few people in the process and do it orderly. And, anyway, that's a whole other story. That really... It's not probably doesn't you want to hear all that stuff. Actually, I do, but it's probably not. <laughs> I know. Uh, you said that changed your life again. Yes, yes, it did. I mean, it was a period after that of about uh, a year where I wallowed in self pity. Was did Har did Harvey visit you at the hospital at mm -hmm. all? He did. Mm -hmm. Well, not at first. I was taking uh, back then, and I don't know if it was just because I was gay or what. Uh, but the law was, if you attempted suicide, it was a criminal act. Yes. And I was incarcerated by court's orders again. Again? In Bellevue. I was there for a month, a whole fucking month. 
And all you do is wander around this hallway with like 300 guys in this hallway with these, I'll never forget that sound. They give you these cheap little slippers and this slash, slash, slash. That's all you hear all day long. It's just a hallway. And then they would, you'd line up twice a day to take these pills they would give you. You know, so I was kept there for about a month. And then uh, my father stepped in and uh, paid for a private psychiatrist and they transferred me to a, uh, St. Luke's Hospital. And Harvey came to visit me there. He wasn't an activist at all then, was he? Oh. No. <laughs> no. No. His transformation must have been sh surprising to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, Although he started to become active. I didn't see Harvey for a number of years after that. I, mean, I bumped into him a couple times right. in the street. Uh, then when I opened the shop, he started coming around the shop. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to publish a newsletter called Hymnal. Homophile Youth Movement News, uh, and he wrote a column for me about the stock market. My conversation with Craig Rodwell about Harvey Milk ended there. I had to change cassette tapes, and in the remainder of my all-too-brief interview with Craig, we moved on to other subjects. Of course, you know what came next. After Harvey moved to the West Coast and became an activist, he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the first openly gay man to hold public office in California. In 1978, at the age of 48, he was assassinated along with George Moscone, San Francisco's mayor. Craig became a Where's Waldo of the movement. He was at the center of some of the most consequential events in early LGBTQ history and was one of the key organizers of the first ever New York City Pride March in 1970. He was 52 when, in 1993, he died of stomach cancer. Death comes for us all, I guess, although that hardly seems like the right note to end on in a Valentine's Day episode. So, how about this? Death comes to us all. Love does not. If you're blessed to have it, treasure it. Today and every day. On that note, I want to wish Barney, my beloved of nearly 30 years, a very happy Valentine's Day. How did I get so lucky? This bonus episode was produced by Inga Dataya with help from audio engineer Michael Bognar. If you're a member of our Patreon community, you can watch me unpack the episode you've just heard with Patrick Hines, the creator of the Obsessed Network of podcasts and a noted Craig Rodwell obsessive. If you're not a Making Gay History patron yet, show us your Valentine's love and sign up for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash makinggayhistory. You'll have access to exclusive content, and you'll help support our mission to bring LGBTQ history to life through the voices of the people who lived it. I'm Eric Marcus. So long, until next time. <laughs>